0: Peace and love, everyone. Uh, my name is Andrew Hewson. I'm a spiritual teacher. I'm here with uh, my friend David Buckland. David is an author, a doctor, and um, a pioneer in the field of cognition and description, as far as I'm concerned. He's someone that I highly admire and uh, deeply appreciate. And we're here today to discuss the initial shift in identity, that which is commonly spoken of as awakening. David is uh, somewhat of an expert in this area. He's seen many awakenings over the years. He's written about it in detail in his book, Our Natural Potential. I myself have uh, witnessed this phenomena known as awakening, and we both uh, describe it in a unique way. So today we're going to be exploring uh, what this shift in identity looks like and how it can show up and then also moving into uh, a different stage or phase that uh, can show up uh, after this uh, initial recognition of what reality is. Thank you for being here with me, David.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, uh, Andrew. Yeah, we have the general intention to uh, discuss the stages in series. We had an mm-hmm. earlier discussion where we went through uh, the stages in a broad overview. And so now we're going to go back and uh, cover them in a little more detail. Yeah, um, yeah I, I refer to them as, as uh, stages of enlightenment, and mm-hmm. you refer to them as contextual modalities. That's correct. Yes. As each, each shift. Shifts are the context in which we experience. Yes. Shifts our sense of self and our sense of the way we're and the way we're experiencing the world. It's like where we're experiencing from uh, shifts. Yes. And so it changes the context that changes the the our relationship with consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, from what I've uh, seen, there's two primary aspects in this process. what's known in in Ayurveda as Atman and Sattva kind of can be seen as the masculine and feminine in certain ways of the process. The Atman's side is is the cosmic self or consciousness. And that shows up as the stages in consciousness itself, as it's changing its relationship with itself. And then there's a primary quality of consciousness um, that determines the uh, some of the context in which that's experienced. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the refinement, uh, quality of refinement of consciousness that takes place through the spiritual practices and process. And some will um, emphasize one side of this equation and some will emphasize the other. I thought it would be uh, advantageous though, just to first talk about the approach.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, they confuse Elements of the approach with the awakening and and uh, awakening itself is used in a really broad kind of way uh, to mean a number of things you know yeah. like for example some people will consider themselves uh, awake because they're awake they're, they're alert to the concepts <laughs> of, right. of spiritual development that they're they have a really good uh, they feel they have a really good uh, grounding in the in the understanding uh, mm-hmm. side of it um, Another very common uh, thing that can happen is people can have openings or experiences.
2: Mm. It's
1: very common before the actual shift. And so there can be uh, uh, nice big openings, but nothing that's sustained because experiences, they come and go. But these shifts are actual uh, changes in in our sense of self, as I touched on earlier and so they're they and certainly an experience can affect our sense of self sure an actual shift is a is a permanent shift that's that's uh in in being it's not a it's not just an experience yeah
0: that's i I, hmm? I was just going to say that's a that's a really important important point you're making about the the term awakening because it's been thrown around in so many different ways uh as of late we see it used in reference to uh feeling that we we know what's going on behind the scenes sometimes certain human beings if they're involved in certain theories uh sometimes called conspiracy theories they would claim that they're awake to what's what's really going on uh and, <laughs> and the term awakening is used to to refer to something that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about here it could also just refer to a basic personality change i've heard people use it in in terms of well i had my awakening and now i'm a different person but the way in which we're approaching it and speaking about it has to do with an actual fundamental shift in in what reality is recognized to be so it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a very important point that you're making yeah. it.
1: and it's not a it's not a a change in the person it's a it's a transcendence of the person exactly <laughs> i'll come that's back right. to that in a moment though because i wanted to go into a few more examples that's that's another good example you mentioned um then another one is uh what might be called mind awareness Mm. the mind has a quality of awareness to it and when people become conscious of that mind awareness particularly if they're using practices like uh versions of mindfulness Mm. uh, it can amplify the awareness of the mind or and the strength of the mind and they can consider themselves might call themselves awake um but mind awareness is still there's still a person identified uh, ego there um there's still a, a person who's considering themselves uh, aware and certainly these are might be considered stages of awakening mm. uh, having openings and, and becoming uh, more uh, conscious within uh those can be seen as steps in that process but it's not the same thing as the awakening we're talking about and then there's this other one that can happen. Now, sometimes people just simply wake up. There's just like a distinctive shift and, and they're there. And sometimes people kind of go in, in a few progressive steps, hmm. uh, a, a, a series of uh, sub-awakenings before the, the actual shift. And one of them is known sometimes as a jiva awakening or uh, the, the, the jiva is kind of a, a word I equate with soul. Soul awakening. Oh, a Western word. It's, it's kind of the, the the point value of consciousness that it that experiences through this body mind, mm. and there is a shift that can take place where where the witnessing quality comes online.
2: Mm.
1: So we it's like instead of being a, a me who who experiences themselves as a person who's this body or this mind, um, there is a, a sense of being consciousness observing through the the body and mind. And the distinctive thing about this is it takes place 24-7. So mm-hmm. even though we're uh, in deep sleep, for example, there's still a quality of alertness that's there. There's mm-hmm. still a continuity of of sense of self. Mm-hmm. So this this can sometimes be considered an awakening. In, in a sense, it is in the broader sense of the word. But what we're talking about here is an even deeper shift.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when that atman, that, that quality of broad consciousness itself, wakes up to itself
2: mm-hmm.
1: through the person. Yeah. So we wake up from the person into being the, the cosmic self, the, the um, Atman or, or uh, universal consciousness.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, so we're, it's actually infinity that is recognizing itself. Yeah, and so it's not the person that
1: wakes up, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the infinity that wakes up through the person. And it's a subtle difference, but it's, it's key. Very and, key. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, too, because people, when people wake up, they can often be surprised at its normalcy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because there's a, when you read these things like we're talking about, about qualities of, of awakening, it can seem you know, really uh, exalted and, and unusual and so on like that. But it's actually perfectly normal. It's a normal stage of development. It's just been a little bit more rare until more recently, yes. And uh, that's changing now. Um, and there's, a, there's several key qualities of of the shift that take place uh, when there's a when there's a when that shift in being takes place. The backlog of karma, the the mountains of of karma we have sitting there, um, are roasted. Those seeds of karma are all roasted with that shift um but that doesn't mean karma is over because there's still the sprouted seeds that are already active in this life those will still play out um after awakening but there isn't that backlog anymore and that brings a lot of uh, clarity because they kind of uh, that backlog of karma has the, the effect of being kind of like a shadow or a fog in our inner experience
2: beautiful
0: one one quick point about that is that in in reference to the sprouted seeds or the the karma that is already operative a lot of it is going to be unconscious so it doesn't mean that oh i you know that which i know is there is the sprouted stuff it 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 includes a lot of things that we are not going to recognize or have recognized prior to the shift it was laying on deep deep lay uh deep levels of sort of sediment uh, within within our experiencing, yeah,
1: yeah, and then gradually as we go through this process and become more and more clear, uh, those things become more conscious, and sometimes mm-hmm. we're then able to process them on their level, like just mm-hmm. as energetic, at a, you know as a wave of emotion or as some fine experience or some some value, some feeling value, and resolve them on that level, because you can think of karma as incomplete experiences, mm-hmm. something that, that we didn't complete for some reason we were resisting or weren't able to process it at the time and we hadn't had not uh, come back to it yet and yes. so just being able to experience that but sometimes they're in a deep enough shadow for the, the bigger ones that we still have to live them out in our uh in our uh the field of action in, in our direct experiences yes and this can be not just negative karma or, or you know difficult things but it could be positive things as well hmm. another key about awakening is uh breaking that identification with the, the personal self
2: hmm.
1: so there's, there's kind of some detail we can go into here a little bit there's kind of like what they call the asmita, which is um the quality of possessiveness uh the meanness or mindness i guess you could say that is that is deleted if it's not already gone uh with the shift um then there's the the, the eye sense and that's um well there can actually be a sense of ego death we'll go into this a little more as we get along to it with the awakening but what it turns out is it's actually identification with the ego that ends there's still a a function of individuality that's required to live in in this body mind um we if we there's no sense of, of personal self then we can't differentiate between our body, mind, and and the you know the stairs we have to walk down and so on. <laughs> we have to be able to function in the world. So there still needs to be a sense of of this body, mind as distinct from the you know the the fork we're trying to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that that quality is still there. It's just seeing it as who we are. That's what what is uh, ends with with the shift.
2: Yeah,
0: beautiful. There's uh, one of the ways that I tend to look at this is that. The, the shift also uh, can um, present a new sense of what I is. So in a way, the, the former sense of I is left behind and a new sense of I arises. But within that new sense of I, within that new sense of identity, there is still the intelligence of the processing centrality of the human ego that was there before. And so that, that processing system continues to operate, but it's now recognized to be a spontaneous uh, flow of intelligence. So yeah, yes. we're not taking the, the eye sense is not reflected in that. So it, we're not taking credit for what has really always been arising in and of itself.
1: Yes. That's a very important point. You know, one of the, one of the uh, things that the ego does when it's identified is, is it makes a claim that, mm-hmm these are my thoughts, these are my possessions, these are my emotions, uh, I did this. And it's, it's really quite interesting, actually, because even in, in uh, studies of brain physiology, they've found that there is a reaction time, or a, there's a time between stimulus, the body reacting, and then the mind responding. And it's only when the mind responds that the ego can process it, because the ego is mm-hmm. kind of on, on uh, mind and intellect level. And so it's it's taking a claim for having done something or made a decision after it's already happened. <laughs> and that's even been recognized in the in our the way our physiology functions now in science. Um, but this is something we realize directly when we wake up. And it sounds it can sound a bit odd, but it's actually quite as I mentioned, quite natural and normal. Mm-hmm. So so there's that shift out of a sense of doership, that I am the doer, and we're kind of this detached. Witnessing observer now some of that as I mentioned can can that can the witness can come online prior sometimes, but generally speaking um, Well for most people it tends to come online with the shift and there's that sense of being the watcher of our thoughts and actions
0: Yes, yes.
1: Now, it really depends. There's kind of a Degrees of clarity of the shift like for mm-hmm. some people they're just a clean You know the, the shift is very clear the uh, awakening is very uh, clean, and there's no falling back. Yes. Um, or there's very little falling back. There can be some uh, initial. Because uh, what happens is we, with awakening, we create this this open space of consciousness. So anything that hasn't been processed yet tends to rush forward to be seen. And there can be some. There can be a period of of unpacking after the shift. Um. And and it that becomes much, much easier when we're not attached to what's going on and trying to claim it as ourselves. When we're just observing, then we can just observe the process. We're not as involved in it, so it becomes much easier. Exactly. Um, But um, sometimes there's a less distinctive shift. Uh, I've noticed it can be quite key that when the the shift happens and the shift itself is just a fraction of a second. There's just this brief moment when the self sees itself and then the, you know it's like a pop click you know bang <laughs> mm-hmm. and um often accompanying that can be a wave of purification it's mm-hmm. quite common for people to have a wave of laughter or or, or tears or, or both together mm-hmm. um and if it doesn't that if that doesn't happen quite often um that means that purification has not has to happen afterwards over time and the shift itself isn't as clear
0: i'll make one point about that as well just to clarify for the viewers you know when you describe that sort of click shift that will be how many uh experience it but sometimes it will be much quieter than that almost like a uh, like a block of ice melting or something sneaking it's a sneaky it's a very sneaky shift and I've noticed a tendency in those that would consider themselves seekers or, you know, move to seek after awakening to look for an event or look for a happening. And that can oftentimes be a great limitation to the actual naturalness of the, of the unfoldment because it's perceiving it would take perhaps what you just said and then interpret it in terms of time and space and causation and things like that and not recognize that it is an expression of grace and it's yes. a natural flowering, and it's not—it's not an event in time because it's really the end of the dominance of what appeared to be linear time. In in that sense,
1: yeah. Yes, I, I very much agree. That, that's one thing that's really important to understand about the shift too. We don't wake up because of spiritual practices, mm. and most of the time, people don't wake up during spiritual practices. Yes. What spiritual practices do is prepare the ground, so that when Grace uh, happens. Uh, then we're prepared, and mm. it doesn't come. as just a wave of opening and then falling back again. Um, we're able to sustain the uh, the shift, uh, the, the the potential. But yes, grace uh, essentially the hand of the divine, and it takes place out of space and time, and and all that kind of thing. As you mentioned, it's kind of like this this moment of of seeing, and sometimes. Um, actually for quite a few people because nobody has any uh typically has any experiential reference points for 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 the shift and so we you know we can get a lot of concepts about what it's supposed to look like but the actual shift is 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 something completely new
2: Mm.
1: you know like when i when i first shifted um it was very clear and distinct but i had no idea what it was
2: Mm -hmm. even
1: though i had you know, years of studying studying this, it didn't match any of my concepts about it because the concepts are never it if if it hasn't been the experience. And then after about a day and a half, I realized what it was.
2: Hmm.
1: It became clear what it was. And then, you know, I basically had to throw out all my understanding of what the shift was about and then bring it back again in this new context because now I was seeing that, oh, what my teacher said, was accurate, uh, but how I had interpreted it, how I had, uh, how I had, uh, yeah, the concepts I developed about it were were not. Yeah. Um,
0: Beautiful. Yes. When, when the shift uh, unfolded here, it was there's this deep sense of familiarity, like you were referring to earlier, just this, um, and I have just sort of described it afterwards as. Um, feeling like I was a fish that was sort of flopping about on the shore and was just placed back in the water. And really that was the nature of my, my whole apparent life. Um, and it is just an, it's a, it's such a, such a natural uh, recognition and, and uh, such a, and an at homeness, you know, uh, can be present in that.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause some, some teachers even say that we're all already awake. Mm-hmm. Um, Even suggesting there's nothing you need to do to to awaken because you're already there, and in a sense this is true because we are already are that consciousness and we're immersed in it, that global consciousness. Yes. But um, but we have but the key is recognizing that if we haven't recognized it, it's just a concept.
2: Yeah.
0: And yes. And thinking that we are awake or that we are awareness or that we are already enlightened doesn't do us much good in actual practice that <laughs> it doesn't show up on the bottom line uh, as a greater sense of freedom and harmony and peace and joy and all of these things that are innate to recognizing the truth of what we are
1: yeah and unfortunately thinking that we are we're already there can be a barrier to actually making the shift it can because yeah. then we become identified with 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 the concept of it and mm-hmm. that can get in the way of the reality Uh, and you also you brought up a key point about the styles of shift yes the shift itself is a shift in being it's not an experience but it can come with with experiences and purification as i mentioned and so some people have quite flashy shifts and some people it's very very ordinary
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so much so that they're surprised that you know how did how did i not get this (laughs) after all this years (laughs) of meditating it's so obvious so simple And it's like pure simplicity, simpler than you can imagine in a real way. Because imagination, again, is another function of the mind. Beautiful. But I have noticed that there's a tendency for several distinct styles of the experience of awakening, even though awakening itself isn't an experience, how how they relate to it. Like some can have a sense of ego death or ending
2: Mm. and
1: becoming the cosmic self. So they mm. shift from being a personal sense, sense to a cosmic self. But again, that sense of ego death, I had that experience, um, but I realized later that the sense of ego death was actually a death of the identification, not the ego itself. Mm. Um, and another variation of that is the sense of ego death into a no self. So instead of a cosmic self, it's a no self. And this is actually the same thing. It's just the way we're relating to it is different. Um, perhaps they're in a Buddhist tradition that uh, speaks or uh, frames it in terms of no self, and so mm-hmm. they don't talk about cosmic self. Or perhaps uh, there's uh, less refinement, and so there isn't a recognition of the cosmic self. So that space of consciousness that they step into is an emptiness rather than a fullness.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful point. Uh, yeah. And actually, I've, uh, there are, there's a style. That isn't uncommon where the the shift is totally dominated by this emphasis on no no person, no, no separate experiencer. Right. But actually the way that it qualitatively shows up is that there isn't any field recognition, not even background awareness recognition. So they still perceive that there's a physical environment and that everything is material and made of blocky matter but they just the the appearance is that there's just no separate person inside of here that is operating the body so this is a a very sort of very very initial with very little refinement style of shift there's nothing wrong with it but i've also seen it glorified and made into something that actually apparently trumps these more uh refined recognitions yeah and this is a symptom of you know coming out of a of, of a darker age and and things along that line
2: yeah but
0: it's important yeah. to note that if there still seems to be you know the we go far beyond just feeling like there's physical matter that is scattered about and that there's just not someone inside of the body
1: yeah it's a it's a it's an interesting process though that there's these variations because some things can sound very, very similar that are quite distinct.
2: Mm-hmm. Some
1: things can sound very different that are, are actually the same, like no self versus self of right. uh, cosmic self. And, and that's one of the things that's happened actually in a lot of Eastern uh, spiritual philosophy has been applied incorrectly to um to the modern experience. Like there are people who are taking uh, Vedanta, end of the Veda, um, non-duality is is a really common way it's framed, and applying that to this initial shift. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned, there's that shift into being the observer uh, separate from the thoughts and actions, and there there can be this sense of being separate from the world Mm as a distinct break. And in the traditional text, they actually describe this as as dwaita, duality, because there's a duality of an inner awake consciousness and uh, the outer world. Yes. And so there's a separation. But because the outer world may be seen as illusory, Mm -hmm. some people just write that off and consider that only this inner wholeness is real and that this is non-duality. But it's not really non-duality. Non-duality usually comes later in, in the in the uh, process and we'll go into that uh, more in another talk
0: yes that's yeah, that's a great point so what you just described as far as that sort of the inner wakefulness and the in the recognition of oneself as the field of underlying awareness that's still much more sophisticated than the the style that i described earlier not sophisticated in terms of superiority but sophisticated in terms of its qualitative recognition and and at least being a little bit Uh, closer to recognizing the reality of infinity, infinity recognizing itself. The first uh, style that I described is one that really doesn't have too much to do with infinity. All it's focused on is that there's no separate individual inside of the body. And I wouldn't even really consider it a shift in identity because there isn't a new recognition or a fresh recognition of what the identity is.
1: Yeah, and it can also lead to a really dry, flat kind of a...
0: Super uh, dry, yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because there's no richness or fullness uh, to it yet.
0: And Uh, then when the purification uh, comes in that context, oftentimes it can be a little bit of a struggle because the tendency is to negate or to push away. A lot of that baggage that is coming up actually isn't being given attention and resolved. So yeah. some, even, it's even possible that some new karma is being created in that situation. Yeah, um,
1: and they're getting in the way of the process that yeah. will help that clarity come forward. Exactly. Yeah. Um, another style is when the sense of personal self seems to expand to become universal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So rather than a, a sense of break, is the, shift, the identification shift shifts from one to the other in a process that, it, that feels like an expansion. I haven't seen too many cases of that, but I have seen a few. Another style is a devotional or a related surrender of the ego uh, mm-hmm. style, and there's a perhaps a sense of yoking to God mm-hmm. um, in that process. so there's a um, awakening itself is a form of surrender in any case because we're letting go of the ego identification and mm-hmm. surrendering to that greater sense of self. Um, but some some people are on a more purely devotional path and uh uh and so that's that the the heart uh process is more dominant in their case. We'll go into that a little bit more as we get to that part yeah um but that's another uh possibility mm-hmm. and um and then the fifth kind is the kind that um uh, that you mentioned earlier, where there's just a really quiet gradual shift like a melting of the ice or an oozing and, uh where um there's a shift takes place and it's interesting because when you are the self and someone wakes up nearby you it's the same self that's waking up yes it's like you experience their awakening Mm -hmm. however what you experience is not necessarily what they experience
2: yeah
1: uh because if there's more a little more fog there or whatever not not quite as much clarity then they may not clearly recognize it or they can see it, but it's not distinct enough, and and then the mind gets involved and and doubt uh, comes up because until that there's there's a series of things that have to resolve be resolved until the mind uh, stops trying to come back in and, and take control again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a there's a whole process involved with that.
2: Yeah, um, That's
0: a beautiful point because uh, it 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 may uh, burst some people's bubble, but there's only one that. That wakes up. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's only one reality that realizes itself, and it's not our uh, uh, sense of uh, personal individuality on that level.
2: Yes.
1: And you've mentioned another type of, of awakening more recently that I haven't seen yet. Yes. Um, and that, um, let's see if I can describe it from my perspective, there's uh, consciousness is aware of itself globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, kind of, there's basically a, a, an observer side, there's the object side of experience, the world, mm-hmm. and then there's a process of experience between them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Usually, people become conscious of the observer side first, and they wake up through recognizing consciousness as the observer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but there there is the, the potential to wake up to consciousness as kind of like the movie screen of the world. Yes. Uh, the... Uh, backdrop and there's this thing what they call chandas in in, uh, sanskrit that essentially Mm -hmm. means covering and the world has this quality of of being a covering over over consciousness Mm -hmm. Um, and so there has to be a a great deal more clarity uh, to be able to see through that Um, a a lot more of the refinement process going on to to be able to see through that and, and reach consciousness in the world usually that takes place later in the process and what's called the unity stage um which we'll go into in a later talk again but um but there is certainly that potential um yes would you uh, would you say it's it's uh, typically a more devotional process
0: uh, i would say that that definitely is more is supportive of that style of shift unfolding it also ties into what i call transmutation which is essentially the conversion or clearing of latent energetic condensation, uh, you know, latent unresolved material. So in a path which has that uh, transmutative sort of alchemical uh, foundation where there's a lot of attention, attentive allowing taking place of things that were being uh, repressed or suppressed, then it tends to support this style of shift. And devotion uh, also is a, a primary factor in this. When I describe the initial shift, um, I typically just look at it as either a masculine shift or a feminine shift. And mm-hmm. as you as you said, the masculine side of things is I you and I use the words consciousness and awareness a little differently, but we're talking about the same thing. I just I call the masculine side of things pure awareness. And that's mm-hmm. the the silent seer, yeah, the silent, the pure field of silent seeing yeah. that's right here, seeing. The pure, around here, yeah. The Shiva value exactly. So this, uh, when 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 that style of shift uh, unfolds, that's more kind of what we were talking about initially, and we see, uh, you know, that that initial um, duality that may appear between what you were talking about as the, you know, the recognition of ourself as that pure silent seeing, and then perhaps seeing the world as illusory or even in some cases just still seeing an objective physical world, but we recognize that we're the underlying awareness that is appearing as that. Yeah. So objectivity hasn't been resolved as of yet in the feminine style of shift. It's a very, uh, it's very interesting. And I'm seeing this uh, more and more. It's, and it's what unfolded here. Um, the, the, the full, uh, vibrancy of this, uh, almost like, Uh, an aspect of the field which um, could be visually described as something that is similar to heat rising off the top of a grill, yet all pervasive. It's a clear, uh, bright, uh, vibrant field, uh, that has a, um, an aliveness, uh, to it. yes? Yes. And this, um, this aspect, uh, begins to recognize itself, um, and recognize itself as what at first appears to be the filler for what previously was perceived to be empty space so the sense of empty space uh, disappears and in a feminine style shift uh, what also often takes place is that there's recognition of oneself in the dynamism so perhaps i'll give an example of my, my own to see a flock of geese flying by I saw that I was the flyingness of the geese flying by um, or different things like this. Now, this was in the initial shift. Mm -hmm. What also can take place on the feminine side of things, which also takes place on the masculine, but it might just show up a little differently is that with the, with the disappearance of what was previously deemed to be space, there's the disappearance of what before seemed to be distance. And so in that full vibrant, lively uh, field that is recognizing itself there's this sort of seamless recognition that all of the apparent forms are distance, distantly, distancelessly um, present in this in this fullness that is realizing itself. And, you know, it just depends on the uh, on the degree of refinement, I would say, or on the degree of uh, um, emphasis on that side or just the sort of karmic potentiation of that but it also tends to be a little bit more blissful so we have on one side the blissfulness and we have the other side the peacefulness so the the masculine style shifts are characterized by a deep peace a deep peace yeah. oftentimes and on the feminine shifts that i'm seeing uh firsthand here uh as of late blossoming forth more and more there tends to be more of a blissful uh, dynamism. That, that is that is shining forth. Mm. Well, that
1: makes perfect sense, because that liveliness is bliss. Essentially. It is bliss, it's yes, experiences, exactly. Experiences. So that's a lie. Whereas what tends to happen, what 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 has historically happened a lot, is that there's that masculine style shift of the observer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and then there tends to be uh, what Ajay Shanti called the honeymoon period, where, where we're, we're kind of enjoying some of the benefits for a short time, and then uh, and then the mind tries to come back up again. and Basically, mm-hmm. what's unresolved is coming to the surface to be seen. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: various ways of, of talking about that, but, but um, there's basically a bunch of unpacking takes place, and that can take place over, it, it really varies. I've seen, I've seen uh, it take uh, a few months, and I've seen it take years. Yes. Um, yeah. And sometimes what happens too is people have further shifts while they're still processing the initial shift, And then Mm -hmm. there's whatever the further shifts uh, uh, trigger as well. So they kind of tends to be uh, several things going on at once. Uh,
2: That's a really
0: interesting point. Actually, um, I describe the shifts in in what I call a five-phase developmental process, just a way of kind of holding their unfoldment. And the first uh, is recognition. And that's where there's that clear seeing of the field within itself. The second is what I call transcendence. This refers to the transcendence of the dominance of the previous sense of self. So if that was egoic dominance or feeling that we were a limited body mind, then the, the that sense of self is transcended. Then, or if it was, let's say, awareness and we're moving into source recognition, then the sense of self as awareness is is transcended after we've recognized that we're the the source has recognized itself. So then the third is uh, what I call stabilization, which is uh, these are all sort of progressive, n- nuanced processes, but. Anyways, it's just for fun and also helpful in a certain context. And uh, then the fourth is what I refer to as unification, which kind of ties into what you're talking about here with the with the surfacing of all of that unresolved material that kind of bubbles up uh, after we've um, had a there's a stable recognition of ourself at a new level of context and in, in seeing ourselves in this new uh, in this new way. And then the the fifth uh, phase is integration. Uh, which is where that just clearly more clearly reflects in the functioning of experiencing or the appearance of the body mind. Yeah. Now, what's that, interesting when, the,
1: when that, that phase, when they, when they, well, that can happen. There can be kind of like waves of purification with breaks mm-hmm. in between. And you know that, that first part is, is typically around stillness and uh, in, in silence and peace, those kind of qualities of, of, of absolute consciousness and um when that and that that allows the the bliss to come forward it's a little above the consciousness but but essentially a lot lively consciousness has a quality experienced you know in the body as bliss yes
0: in the body yeah so if if someone's in that uh in let's say they're in a unit the unification phase they can they can be in the unification phase of the first shift and have their already be starting the recognition transcendence phase of the next shift. Yeah. So it's a nonlinear sort of um, intermingled thing. It's not as clear and uh, clean and defined as some might uh, read into it. So like you were saying just a moment ago that it, there's, there's cleaning up taking place from the first shift and then the next, the next shift already starts to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's worth useful to to note here too that with the Atman and Sattva I talked about at the very beginning, these the masculine and feminine. Uh, this is spiritual development that carries forward from prior lives. Yes. So uh, you know prior uh, histories of spirituality or whatever, and so uh, when we're born, we don't all start in the same place. Yes. People will have different levels of each. You know they could have spent um, a couple of lifetimes as a renunciate in a cave somewhere really developing clarity of consciousness, Mm -hmm. uh, but not have much refinement. Or they may have spent a lot of time developing refinement, but not have so much on the level of consciousness. So we kind of pick up where we left off. And I've also noticed that uh, people tend to, to, uh, some people come into this life and they start off pretty quickly. Like Mm -hmm. one of my teachers started witnessing at four years old. Um, Whereas other people will kind of work through some karma first. And then at a certain point, the spiritual thing will kick in. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be, you know, so you see people kind of going along, having a normal sort of life, their typical sort of life. And then suddenly they have a spiritual interest and a, and a month later they've woken up, you know, yeah. it's just like, click, click, click. Yeah, it's the time comes and bang, it, 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 uh, it happens. So there's this huge variation in when the process becomes prominent in someone's life and, uh, you know, somebody uh, mentioned an email to me yesterday that, uh, you know, they, they didn't kind of get involved in the spiritual path, path until they were in their fifties. But, and, you know, whereas I'll look at you, you, you started when you were much younger. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of that is I needed more work. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I needed more time to practice too, uh, to get rolling. Um, yeah, another, another quality that comes online as the clarity dawns too is, is that, um, or becomes more apparent, is that with the intellect. Because when the ego is identified, the intellect associates itself with the mind.
2: Hmm.
1: And the mind is kind of swept around by events and, and experiences and this kind of thing. It dances around, so the, the intellect kind of gets. Uh, and some people, like, like uh, scientists and so on, train the intellect to be a little more uh, reliable. But after the the shift, the intellect comes to associate itself with that silent being,
2: that Mm. inner
1: inner being, which is timeless and eternal. So the the intellect becomes much more, it's called resolute in the the old texts, it becomes much more stable. And that gives the ability to, really helps the refinement process and the ability to experience on much, much finer levels. Because there's there's a quality of stability in uh, deep levels of experience uh, and in the refined levels of the, the uh, senses. Um, so the senses have been, for most people of going out and, and identifying themselves with objects in the world. Um, you know with the spiritual practice, we turn inner. and then through refinement and uh, the resolute intellect coming online, we're able to uh, experience much finer details i mean a lot of what we talk about may be completely foreign to uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, but at a certain point you know, it becomes normal and obvious it's not
0: exactly yeah and that's uh,
1: wildly special
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i've been mentioning uh, uh quite a bit lately um how any time that a brother or sister uh receives the gift of of this grace and and a shift in identity it's really a joyous occasion for all of us and, uh, and a reason to celebrate. Um, sometimes
1: yeah, what can happen? W- it's the whole that's waking up to itself. It's the whole that's so, waking up. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a person that's waking up. It's, it, yeah. You, know, yeah, we're, we're, but it's you
0: see sometimes, uh, a, a good bit of discouragement and, um, comparison and things, uh, surrounding, you know, shifts in identity. And perhaps I've been meditating for 50 years and this still hasn't happened or this, you know, and that's totally understandable, um, but it's also so supportive for us to just tune into the the underlying commitment for to truth. That's what that's what the meditation was for, and that's what we're all here gathered together in. And if we look for similarities rather than differences, and tend tend towards the side of resonance rather than you know, that which would attempt to serve some false sense of separation, then we're, we're aligning ourselves more fully with the whole. And that is ultimately yeah. what is supportive of, of these, these realizations.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's important to understand that, that the, in a sense, in the sense of the jiva the, that, or that aspect of our, our role in the whole, each of us is a specific perspective a specific hmm. point and the point of there being all these different beings having experiences is to to bring out all the detail to have all these different perspectives of the one wholeness to fill it out and so when we awaken as an you know apparent individual we're we're contributing to that whole and the whole itself is becoming more awake in all the details and so we're not going to have an awakening that's the same as anybody else's yes and, and our our purpose here is to have a distinct is to have distinct experiences mm-hmm. there is a, a, a standard underlying process yes but how we're actually going to experience it and how we're going to relate to it and stuff it's going to vary a lot and so yeah. there'll be teachers that we'll, we'll resonate with a lot and uh i mean because you've had that kind of process then people are going to be attracted to you Who are going to have a, a similar process exactly uh, yeah. yeah and um yeah so it, it's it's uh, a but but at the same time, one of the reasons I wrote the book is that there's people that are in traditions and their unfolding is taking place in a way that's different than that tradition describes. Mm, my own yeah. my own was as well. And, yeah. you know, for example, I witnessed for over 30 years before I woke up mm-hmm. and one of the, te- you know, standard things in there is witnessing full time means you're awake. Um, but, but and that's often true, but not always. <laughs> there are yeah. you know, several people who've been a witness for quite a long time before they woke up. Mm-hmm. So there was that partial stepping back, but still an identified ego.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so consciousness had become awake, but not awake to itself. Yes. So yeah. it's a bit like a semi awakening, <laughs> but still identified, <laughs> so it doesn't really qualify in the same way. <laughs>
2: right.
1: Another thing that's really uh, useful to touch on is the Kundalini process. Oh yeah, and, and I, the main thing to talk about there is, is that it's the kundalini isn't causal. Kundalini is a is a energetic process to support embodying the awakening,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it doesn't cause the awakening. Again, as we mentioned earlier, awakening comes from grace. It doesn't come from physiology. And again, if we're preparing the physiology so it can it can uh, integrate uh, the grace when it arrives arises. Uh, you know, that's, that's to our benefit. But um, for the most part, the kundalini process, you know, from the, my perspective, well, the tradition I'm in, uh, their perspective is that the kundalini process is just a natural part of the other process and nothing needs to be done. It will just unfold as it, as it does naturally. Correct.
0: Um, and just like with awakening, everyone's going to taste that subjectively in, in, in a different way. It's, there's no distinct way that that's going to show up. And for some, it'll be extremely quiet or it it may not be registered at all you know yeah. Just,
1: uh. yeah one of the kundalini traditions i studied a little bit um talked about how uh meditators tend not to notice much until the third eye comes online the way so mm. and start getting visual stuff mm. um and it's also useful to understand that there is you know the chakra system but the body also has tens of thousands of other channels and so it's not like, it's not just the chakras that have to open up, but the whole, the whole physiology uh, gets a cleaning through this process.
0: Yes. Yeah. So let's touch on that just for a second, because there's a lot of different things that can show up in reference to the body and, and, uh, and um, in, in reference to different tensions clearing out of the body and uh, sort of stored, stored energies that are surfacing and, it uh the understanding of allowing which you're always talking about on your blog and yeah. i'm always talking about is, is is such a powerful understanding you know when it comes to the to the whole unfoldment not just the initial shift
1: and yeah. uh we've lived a lifetime of of you know identified was making a claim for all this stuff and so the ego wants to feel in control
2: even mm-hmm.
1: though it's not it, it wants to feel in control and essentially it's, it's like it's like a um the ego has a useful function, but when there's no there, there's no perceived master, there's no larger self conscious, then it feels it needs to take over and and and, uh, um, and be become the, the the alpha male or whatever. <laughs> 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 and uh, unfortunately, it makes a, a kind of lousy master, and uh, so it's it's a it's a major improvement when we can step out from under that, but it can create a real habit you know, because we're constantly, you know, wanting to feel in control. So there's this whole process of letting go of uh, these layers of in the body and the emotions and the mind. And it's like mm-hmm. all this kind of layers of, of letting go of, of places where we've been trying to hold on. And, and, um, and there's this kind of the, the yoga sutra talks about it in two ways that there's the grasping of what we want and a resistance to what we don't want.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're not, we're not experiencing what's arising in a neutral uh, innocent way we're track control yeah. Yeah, we're trying to control and manage everything, and, and so it, it basically gets in the way of the, the, the irony of it all is is that nature wants to support the whole world wants to support our process and and back us up, but we've been getting in the way <laughs> yeah. causing you know the suffering uh, essentially has come out of not understanding what's taking place and getting in the way of the process. And so we're fighting, we're fighting the world and, uh, and suffering.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Beautiful point. One thing I will say about the, in the, uh, the grasping and rejecting is that it's not a matter of that, not initially arising because we have those conditioned tendencies that themselves are the grasping and rejecting. But when seeing that there's a grasping or seeing that there's a rejecting, attentively allowing that along with whatever appeared to be Grasped that or rejected, so it becomes included in what is being allowed and released and let go of, as you were describing. Very good point. Yes, yeah. and, and
1: this whole uh, art to that 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 takes a little time to learn. I've kind of felt a slow learner on that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it was advantageous that I practice an effortless meditation because that mm-hmm. taught me how to just allow and that that process. Um, but. It took me ages to realize that i wasn't actually applying that in a broader sense and and you know that i could actually do that with <laughs> my day-to-day activity and, and it's it's funny you know you think that letting go of control is going to be this disaster in some way and and that's the ego's perspective yes and Yet um when you step into it honestly it's a it's a beautiful thing and yet you know uh, that one of the one of the scary parts about it is because there's all that uh shadow material in there but mm-hmm. it means going into the shadow and 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 seeing those things that are unresolved and that's a can be a scary thing at, at first but yeah. it's it's once you learn that process it's kind of it it becomes so much simpler it's like you you the, you can feel the impulse arising and you just sit back and it comes out like a wave washes over you and it is done
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: like this it can it, for the big ones it could be like this huge weight is taken off yeah uh, you've been carrying around all this time and it hasn't been conscious but it's been there and it's been like this this filter on all our experiences yeah uh, kind of it, we have our mind who's with interpreting everything that's coming up but there's also this this filtering layer of uh that those unresolved experiences that that uh, kind of cramp our the range you know i i of so i guess when i was younger too i had this 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 understanding that i would have um fewer emotions yeah. kind, of, kind of this neutral you know awakening that would mean this neutral experience of the world but in fact when you when you start to clear the the deck and open things up that way there's more emotion and it's much bigger and fuller because there isn't any resistance to the experience. Mm-hmm. But that brings a richness to life so that and it's not like you you get overshadowed by it though, because you're you become this this uh established universal consciousness, but you've got this much bigger space in which to have experiences.
2: And mm-hmm.
1: so they can be much fuller and richer and, and more profound.
0: Yeah. Less restrictions surrounding those things. Yes. Yeah. There's also the possibility that you know some will experience uh changes in sleep habits and the way in which sleep is experienced yes in general I know that you you wrote about that in your book and uh, how uh you know the that that sort of twenty four seven seeing comes online and uh and we no longer feel like we are a- asleep in deep sleep I- anymore in the same way
1: yeah. yeah. And, now, now that, that's actually a good point, too, because that, that sense of witness when it first comes online, it can be quite uh, an odd experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have find it a bit weird or even freaky. Uh, for example, uh, you get occasionally someone who, who becomes conscious during deep sleep. Mm. But in deep sleep, the body is asleep and can't move. And the senses, if you're fully in deep sleep, the senses are also offline. And so there's no, there's no content of experience. There's just consciousness itself. So it's like, you know, it's very similar to uh, a deep samadhi or mm-hmm. transcendence that, you know, in, in a meditation practice where you go deep within and, and just everything's very silent and there's no thoughts and, and no activity uh, like that. But, you know, you wake up and the body is asleep and you try and move the body. It's it's not awake it won't move, and so people can find that a little freaky. Um, but it's asleep, and it's something we've done every night of <laughs> our life. Um, and and so there's a tendency to to become a little bit wakeful um, in in the sleep, and um, and then start thinking about the experience, and the senses come online a little bit, and and that. But you're not really deep sleeping anymore then. Um, Lucid dreaming is not quite the same thing as witnessing dreams. It's, it's somewhat similar. Um, but again, uh, I remember when I first started witnessing dreams, I, I started manipulating them. I was like, oh, I don't want to dream about that. I'll do this instead. And,
2: mm-hmm. I, and
1: you know, dream about what I want to dream about, you know, uh, and then after a short time, I realized I was just manipulating the process and I could just let it go
0: yeah so there's a little bit of uh there's a little bit of act like egoic activity involved in that yeah, that's a little yeah. different from that just that pure changeless
1: seeing yeah. and yeah. Uh, that sheet of awareness yeah that, but that, that eventually once you just let go of that whole process and then then it's just there's just the presence that it becomes that sense of being cautious is 24 7 yes it's not necessarily also, active and experiencing but it's it's like there's a continuity that's there
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's, I was just going to go into that. There's a, you know, what develops too as the feminine uh, comes online or just depends on the way the shift unfolds, but there's a seamlessness in the, in sort of the dynamic intelligence that appears as the movements from waking to dreaming and deep sleep. And, and we just sort of tune into this seamlessness of, of, of the three states where they're not really the differentiation is, isn't registered in the way that it was before when there was a sense of identification with being, the waking content and and so on and so forth. Um, also, everyone can have different experiences uh, or a different experience when it comes to the way in which uh, sleep appears to change, or even the the quality of awakeness uh, during deep sleep and and dreaming. I get some questions about this oftentimes, like how and I think I even asked you uh, when we when I first emailed you some a uh, couple years ago. I said, do you still dream? Because I would never hadn't heard anybody talking about pure divinity other than you. So I was just, uh, and you said, yeah, it's still, there's still dreams. They're just, I know, processing out experiences. But if you look at some of the old texts, they talk about dreams disappearing and, and different kinds of things.
1: I think there there is a point where you can get to where, where dreams may stop. But not being conscious of dreams, is not quite the same as no dreams. Um, Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I did yeah. a. I did, I did a. Um, uh, I went to a doctor for the first time in ten years. Some this is some years ago now, but but first time in a while, and and he made kind of a fuss and and decided to get do a whole bunch of testing. Um, and uh, one of the things he did was put me through a, a sleep test, just to check out for sleep apnea. You know? And it was quite interesting because uh, I mean I was I didn't have a good sleep because of wearing all this gear and. <laughs> Cause they're, they're monitoring your breath. There's a, so you got this hose thing on your nose and, and there's a thing for monitoring your, your blood pressure and your, um, uh, in response and whatever, I don't know, a bunch of different things. Mm. And, uh, and it was interesting because, um, one of the things that happens is transcending in sleep, Mm. um, because it's sleep essentially can become like a, um, a, uh, almost like a nonstop meditation Mm -hmm. and so one of the things was going on there was a whole there was a whole lot of one of the things with with uh deep samadhi and meditation is the breath can stop and it kind of goes into a different it doesn't fully stop It, it It we stop breathing in and out and the lungs can kind of go into this uh fine vibration so it doesn't require much oxygen to maintain the physiology when there's no thoughts and no activity just very very still um and uh so there's a whole lot of that in this, and of course he's testing for sleep apnea, which is which is breath stoppage is one of the key things but along with with sleep apnea breast stoppage comes with uh, starvation of oxygen yes
2: uh,
1: because the, the the breathing passage is blocked, and uh, whereas with Samadhi uh, there's no starvation of, of oxygen and so we had this kind of debate about what was actually going on in my sleep. Uh, Uh, because of the you know because there was breath stoppage and oh i should i should do more testing and and do an overnight thing and you know go to a lab and for an overnight sleep and but you know it was a horrible sleep with all that gear on so i didn't want to do more of that and that was was, i knew it was fine uh because there was no issues with with oxygen so uh, it was just transcending
0: yeah there's an interest that's an interesting subject of uh the breath post post shift and in higher stages even um, I found that oftentimes, you know, the, the breath will just stop spontaneously, uh, even in the waking state, and also that there's less of a need for oxygen. Um, and uh, higher altitudes are easily sort of navigated, and things, um, it, it, or actually could even sort of qualitatively feel a little bit more uh, comfortable or supportive in, in certain cases.
1: So. Yeah. I was going to mention the story I have about that. I, I, um, I, I started having that happen with, uh, after I started witnessing. Um, and, um, I remember uh, one of my uh, early girlfriends, um, she would entrain with me. And then, you know, if I was sitting doing something quiet, my breath would stop. Mm. And she, she started to feel like she couldn't breathe and she, he jabbed me in the ribs, <laughs> I, so I wasn't I wasn't conscious, and I'm not holding the breath. It just it just pauses, yes. And I wasn't conscious. This was this was going on, and, and but I, I became much more conscious that it was. Yeah,
0: it seems that uh, you know I guess from the ego's perspective, these kinds of things might seem like oh gosh. Uh, but it's really it's so it's so effortless and natural and yep. spontaneous you know, and uh, it doesn't feel unfamiliar, foreign or scary uh, in that in that way.
1: I'm right. It's just that right, right at first it can be new and but it comes up if there's no context. And this is why it's valuable to have conversations like this, because right. something does come up and the mind doesn't know what it is. Then there can, it can cause fear, even though the experience itself isn't fearful.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying it was so relevant, uh, just about the, the kind of sense of letting go of control in general and how that ties into the initial shift in the, and the awakening. Um, there's, there's so many sort of resistances and blockades that can be thrown up, um, by that innocent survival oriented intelligence, which is attempting to maintain a status that isn't actually even there in the first place. So, it, it it presents all of these different possibilities of things that would go wrong as you were saying and and fall apart or uh, or whatever if if this sense of control wasn't in place in the way that it seems to be and yeah. it's it's i'm so grateful for those that had the courage to say uh, no it's not like that actually it's moving in the direction of greater harmony and and greater flexibility and a greater level of intelligence and capacity to function dynamically in this experience. It's not a, a removal of that. It doesn't uh, take away from our ability to, to be present and to make decisions. And like you were saying before, that resolute intellect comes online and that can show up as a precision and in, in a, in a way of uh, you know, and a decisiveness, a way of um, spontaneously navigating the experience uh, that doesn't have anything to do with control. We're in tune with those laws of nature that you're always talking about, and and there's a there's a great degree of intelligent simplicity that is expressing itself. Beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. I know. No, I was going to say there's another another detail here that. Um, that we should cover um, that explains a little bit about some of the stuff we've touched on before. Consciousness itself has, what in, in the Indian tradition, um, consciousness itself has three fundamental qualities. Mm. Um, they're basically what's called tamas, which is essentially inertia, rajas, which is fire, action, transformation, and uh, sattva, which is purity or clarity. And um, so there's this process of awakening in consciousness and then the process of shifting from a Thomas-dominated physiology into a, into a Sattva-dominated physiology through the process of transformation, through the process of Rajas. And um, so one of the things when our physiology, when, when, when uh, Thomas guna is dominant in our, in our uh, consciousness, then we experience the world as solid and real. That, that's the, the prominent thing. When Rajas becomes dominant, then we experience the, the world as illusory. And this is something that this is something that Shankara brought up for uh, an ancient sage. Uh, and that's quite prominent in in uh, non-duality uh, circles and stuff, sort of framing it that way. But that's actually just that's a perception of the world it's not fundamental nature of truth it's a it's a phase of, of the process and then the third uh, stage of that is is uh, when sattva becomes becomes more dominant and then the world is seen as as lila the divine play mm. and and some clarity is required for the for the shift to take place but there is I haven't seen any myself, but I think I've seen some examples where, where someone who wakes up with Thomas dominant is less common, but there's going tend, tend to be more rigidity and inflexibility, more fundamentalism, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Uh, where Rajas more dominant then there is that sense of, of world disillusion, uh, the no-self- emptiness kind of uh, process mm-hmm. is a little more typical. There's some variation in there. Whereas when subtle becomes dominant, then um, the refinement—it really supports the refinement process, that clarity—and uh, we're able to, you know, penetrate, you know, the 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 covering, the the veils, uh, what I call the the the, the fog Perfect. and smoke and shadow and whatever I call it—is uh, cl- uh, clear enough that that uh, uh, much more refined values can be can be experienced it's kind of like they sometimes talk about it as, as uh, polishing the stone. Mm. So the, this is key for the next stage to unfold. Um, what has been happening a lot in the west uh, in recent uh, recent times is there's a lot of people who are having that initial awakening and l- later having their unity shift with not too much of this next stage. Um, however if there's enough refinement going on then there's that and, and healing uh then there's that potential for a stage that's uh been called god consciousness or or celestial consciousness so there's the there's been that inner shift where we're no longer the doer and yet the body still does
2: mm-hmm. it
1: still acts we still do things it just takes care of itself like our breathing and you know heartbeat and so on like that things still just happen and there's still some it's not like there's no more uh free will there, there's still uh as humans we still have enough consciousness to to make choices about certain things but just a lot, much more of our our uh, actions just become spontaneous and, and also spontaneously correct mm-hmm. and sometimes there can be like oh it doesn't seem like the right thing to do or i don't know if i want to do that but it feels like it's the right thing to do and so you do it and then you find out okay this i can see why um and so with refinement going on, there is a process where we unfold doership, like what's actually uh, causing things to happen, what's actually acting through. And we actually can discover that our, our body, uh, there's what's called Devatar, the, the actual doers, the laws of nature is kind of a generic term I use also. Um, essentially, it, there's... Um, the laws of nature can be perceived through two modes. Uh, one mode is the impersonal, which uh, is the, through the intellect, where we, we view them as principles and laws of nature and uh, functions in, in the environment. You know, uh, science studies laws of nature and so on like that in that way. Uh, but in the personal mode, uh, which is more seen from the heart instead of the intellect, uh, those laws of nature are personified. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the part that's really important to understand about personification is it's uh, through the filter of, of the mind, essentially, and so our cultural expectation, our cultural expectations of uh, things we read or whatever like that, tend to filter how we expect them. A classic example would be angels. Um, beings on that level of functionality are essentially clouds of of light and that have intelligence and, and uh, motivation you know um, but in order to relate to them um, well typically more are more likely to experience them as, as sort of having flowing robes and wings and you know so the classic Western uh, interpretation of what angels are supposed to look like uh, in, in the East you also you see a whole lot of iconography of, of what uh, the gods are supposed to look like and so on mm-hmm. like that. but you may experience it the same way as it's been perceived because of your expectations or because of how they choose to present themselves. The higher, the higher beings um, are able to uh, have some control over their appearance or how they present themselves. And, um, and so there's this thing I call personalization, where, where we experience things um, through our expectations. Um, and so appearances are not reality that's the key thing to understand about about these uh, layers Um, there's an appearance and it's a way to relate to and communicate with uh, and work with or whatever um, the various various principles and laws of nature and this is a field that is extremely broad I mean there are gazillions of different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. We couldn't possibly get to know all this stuff in a a human lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a a tendency for people to have natural inclinations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we put our attention on grows. And so Mm -hmm. that arena is what tends to amplify more. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Dorothy Rowe is a mutual friend who does energy healing. She's put a lot of uh, attention on certain levels of, of being and so she's very familiar with with uh, the the substrata around the the what, what I would describe as the celestial and intellect levels, where where there's the the fundamental templates of forms, and then there's the the uh, structure, the geometrical structure, the underlies fields, and so on. And she works in that arena a lot. And so she's very familiar with certain details there. My attention has been more subtle than that for a long time. And so I, I'm. Um, I, my experience is fuller and uh, on the level of you know functioning how creation works and so on like that less practical <laughs> but uh, but it, it does certainly help me understand the bigger picture more
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and it, it, it uh, so it varies a lot uh, how that unfolds um, Other somebody else might be more oriented towards nature and and uh, you know you get all these descriptions of of, uh, Elementals and sprites and various kinds of uh, nature and st- entities. So you'll see, um, you know, in, in a bed of roses, there'll be there'll be a, a beings that are to take care of those roses. However, um, and, uh, and they'll be specific to that that plant and so on. Um, and of course, it's the work is proportional to the numbers. And, yeah. All that. So there's this whole, whole vast field of, of life um, that's uh, uh, potentially available. I mean, we we may have zero interest in that, or even find it find the idea yeah. of being unpleasant. Um, myself, uh, I ignore it most of the time because it's just basically too much information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's it's useful uh, to be aware of, and you know, and I'm here in a physical body, so I have a physical life to lead. And so I have to be practical about it. Um, and, and, you know, as, as some, some uh, spiritual teachers consider it, uh, it a uh, hazardous area because you can get caught up in, in subtler levels and not live your life properly uh, yeah. and become ungrounded and so on. Um, mm-hmm. I can understand that in, in, in an ideal way that this would unfold um, uh, after awakening, but it really varies. For some people, this kind of stuff starts unfolding long before they wake up. That's a, some people it doesn't start happening until much later. Yeah. Uh, I've seen. So, so there's. So that's kind of talking about the refinement part. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not just about being, but there's also the the layers I, I've referred to here and there, uh, recognizing that the creation has these layers, and there's not just we have a mind and we have an intellect, but those are not just in our head. They're they're mm-hmm. uh, they're universal uh, mm-hmm. layers of of. Of how consciousness becomes the world around us, and so those those values uh, uh, become apparent to us. And and, um, some people have a strong uh, a a strong visual orientation, and uh, they'll experience things visually more. Some will be more uh, through feeling values and and uh, somatic through through the body. Uh, Some people are more audio, and so on. Each of us have different orientations. I tend to use visual words because i'm visual but uh yeah but but actually it's the grossest of (laughs) the three (laughs) but uh so so that's kind of like one side of of the process there's the refinement of the senses and and mechanism and the other side of the process of this this god consciousness is the opening of the heart Mm. Uh, and that's fundamental and like from a chakra perspective there's there's an initial rise prior to awakening where the heart uh, heart chakra opens. And then there's kind of like a higher octave. Uh, it's, anahata is the name of the heart chakra, but there's a higher octave uh, referred to as pradaya. Um mm-hmm. That's kind of like, it's in the same place, same space uh, as, the, as the, the Anahata, but it's uh, kind of a higher octave heart. Uh, it's a more universal, uh, value of the heart, so universal love and compassion, and so on, like that, become possible. Yeah. And so it's kind of like this: the the feminine process um, is, is heart-based and about all those values between the surface and and uh, the silent consciousness, all the richness that's in the middle. And so that's where the the, the fullness and richness and and uh, wholeness and so on uh, come out of uh, is that. Opening up of those, those values, and as we yeah. talked about earlier, for some people, uh, this is more prominent, and it can actually lead to an awakening uh, through the world. Um, yes,
2: yeah.
0: The uh, one of the things I wanted to mention about your, your when you're describing sort of the uh, the process of refinement and in refer, reference to recognitions of various um, subtle beings and things like that is that you know I have seen that take place prior to a shift and it can be a dis- you know distraction and sort of um get a little bit floaty and airy and sort of you know uh wafting about with the the breezes of whatever yeah
1: uh, the, the other issue is there are some beings around who are really happy to have your attention exactly and so they'll they'll be manipulative and and kind of um uh, You know, I went through a little bit of phase when this first started opening up for me, where where I was uh, entertaining them and um, and started to sort of like ask them questions about about my life, like what what should I do about this, what should I do about. They were more than happy to give me advice, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have any wisdom. (laughs) They were basically just kind of uh, what I now call rabble, because they're they're basically we all have a kind of a process, um, and after we uh, we're, we we uh, pass away from uh, from being in a body. Uh, we move up to a more subtle level, and then uh, we could, we're essentially assigned some role.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And most people move on to that role, and and they can, might be a guide or or helping with something here or there or whatever. Uh, but some people uh, resist moving into their into into their role, and they just kind of hanging around and. Uh, so then they basically become troublemakers (laughs) not in a negative evil way or something like that but just kind of looking to get attention and uh uh, that kind of thing and so i realized at a certain point that i needed to put that aside and um and you know stop stop paying attention to these guys and then a little later when deeper uh, uh forms started showing up i was pretty reticent at first Cause mm-hmm. Of that experience, and that was good. Yeah, that, that you know, and I let it be established. So, from the personalization there, the key, the key detail there is the feel, mm-hmm. not not what appearance is, because some of these beings can take on fancy appearances and stuff, and uh, to be some really. Thing. The key is the feeling value. If they don't feel good, then yeah. move away. <laughs> move is
0: on. That- even that, that, you know, checking in on the feeling value, you know, without that sort of stable backing of, of pure awareness, it still can be subject to uh, self-delusion or, or things like that. So,
1: it appeals to your wants. You know.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, this feels good or, or whatever. But there's unconscious material that's being that's sort of being processed out there. So what I've seen is that in cases where I've been working with a case like this actually recently and it's it's a there's a um, there's a movement to emphasize more of the masculine side of things uh, to provide that and and that's what's relevant for that point's uh, evolution if you will and also it can be linked to certain grounding things like you know uh, keeping a daily planner and being more in the appearance of time and making sure that you're you know, here, (laughs) taking steps in the, you know, the perceived physical dimension and those kinds of things. Uh, Otherwise, it could, it could just be uh, another sort of distracting thing. Another possibility, too, that takes place actually is where there can be a subtle level of identification with the refined value of seeing different things and all that. And it can actually become a multi incarnational journey (laughs) uh, of uh, getting sort of caught in that identification
1: yeah um, and it can be really difficult uh to, it's a, it's like a bit of a sinkhole uh i've seen a couple of examples where people um got so far into it they basically isolated themselves hmm. and uh only took advice only did anything you know according to what their what their you know whatever told them mm-hmm. and um it basically com- get into a completely unhealthy, uh, you know, life. They're not eating properly, they're not sleeping properly, you know, just totally ungrounded and and they don't know how to get out. You know, then it, that it, yeah. then it can become quite challenging to help someone out of that.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, this is where the um, foundational, just basic spiritual principles are so, so important because yeah. they, they allow their, you know, universal principles of spiritual truth allow for us to align with uh, something that has a stability in and of itself. It's already there, and um, and being able to tune into that is so supportive. One other thing, uh, in in reference to the to the GC or the God Consciousness phase, I don't I don't typically um, talk about that, perhaps because. I talk about the feminine and masculine styles of, of shift. And, and I think that the, the God consciousness tends to sort of fall into the feminine uh, shift on some level, or it, uh, it presents itself after the masculine shift as what I would refer to then as a, as a, um, a conscious presence shift or a feminine aspect shift. And in terms of the, the opening of the heart um, and the flow of devotion you know we can see that we can see that uh that show up in an in an impersonal way that's still very very refined so even though someone may not be having um recognitions of personified subtle form values of aspects of intelligence there's still this deep sense of loving flow and loving connection and yeah. a recognition of the sort of individualized intelligence that is appearing it as the, as each form. And, but it may not show up as so personified for some. So I just wanted to throw that out there because yeah, it's, it depends yeah. on how you relate
1: to that too. Uh, exactly. I mean, I mean, here, when, when that shift happened, um, the heart awakening was quite profound and um, it was kind of like, I had this giant fire hose, uh, blowing love out of my, out of my <laughs> chest and, and uh um and so even though i'm not i'm more more to the intellect and not not so much uh, a devotional typically i went through a very devotional uh period uh, mm-hmm. in there and for me i needed a, an object of devotion something mm-hmm. to direct the love to, and they talk in the, tr- in the traditions about um the love of god uh, uh, and your uh, ideal form, whatever that is for you I, I, your sense of ideal um, love of the guru, uh, the teacher and um, or love of one's mate or, or partner mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of varies where that flows to but uh, it's uh, yeah, they call it the last upa guru mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a it's a beautiful phase
2: mm-hmm
1: yeah, quite profound, and and of course you've got the you've got that those qualities of bliss coming out. Of, um, but then what happens is that in this process of unfolding after the, the God consciousness shift,
2: mm-hmm. there
1: is an unfolding of um, what's often called flow, um, where that inner silence uh, starts to move. Or the, there's a sense of consciousness, instead of being this this still backdrop, it starts to be recognized as, as moving in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you look at an object and it has its form, but it can be seen in, through the layers, different layers, different things. But it can actually be seen as flowing consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be seen as you know, having, uh, but that's, it's a more subtle value, of course, but there's kind of layers of, of perception that's not just the surface value um yeah there's another there's another uh process too that's really important to mention in here um called soma
2: Mm.
1: now soma um is really badly understood in the west Uh, i remember going into a spiritual bookstore and they had a they had this academic book that was about three inches thick
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um called soma with a picture of a a hallucinogenic mushroom on the cover. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. That's what it
1: yeah, is. been so <laughs> this interpretation that Salma is somehow a hallucinogen, and that, that's why that, that explains all these old texts of people having these fancy experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is all because it, they were on drugs, um, which is quite ridiculous. Um, it is ridiculous. To the experience here, uh, and, and this aligns with what the texts talk about, essentially, there is this infinite ocean of what might be called raw soma it's kind of like this ocean of the oh. divine mother and um that's present we're just, we're immersed in it um mm-hmm. and there's this uh point in the middle of the head there where it's like a gland that that draws the can draw in the soma
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um uh, and it's filtered through through down and then it there's a little thing at the back of the th- upper back of the throat and it drips into the <laughs> mm-hmm. So, as you talk <laughs> it's, about
2: that it's you know, it right? as I
1: talk about it <laughs> that's right every time right.
0: it's mentioned it's like uh. um, so but that's also we're talking in terms of like some subtle physiology as well just so right. everyone it's not
1: a physical
0: thing there's like um, a subtle structure that runs down um, back through <laughs> and then comes out at the back of the throat there yeah Yeah,
1: and then then we swallow it down into the digestion and then it's Mm -hmm. distributed out to out to the various parts of the body and it feeds the laws of nature so it's this essentially there's there's this raw soma available but it's not in a a format that can be used by the subtle being
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and whereas our physiology if it's purified reasonably well to some degree anyways, <laughs> um, it's able to uh, filter through the, the soma and, and create a, a refined form that can be used by the goddesses. Essentially it's like feeding the, the devas, and this has several effects. For one, it dramatically accelerates the refinement process, the polishing. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it helps with the purification as well and it massively improves our nature support because mm-hmm. it's kind of like we're giving um, i don't know what's the good example some like energy drink to the uh that's a bad example it's not really healthy but but uh <laughs> but we're, we're basically uh upgrading the laws of nature that support our physiology and our life and so on like that and it also tends to attract laws of nature that are um free agents i guess you could say um yeah. that are able to move around um and so uh, it it really not only does uh, you know stop falling away from resistance and 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 grasping really help our nature support, but then we start feeding them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and when we uh, it basically comes from samadhi, from touching into into consciousness, and so when we're meditating and we go into a deep meditation, that produces soma but as the process evolves we start producing it more and more and and after awakening it we it's, it becomes more um, I don't know we're ongoing but but
0: regular right re- yeah, yeah it's uh it's also important to note too that like you know i know of many cases where there is somic conversion taking place but they're not aware of it you know as an explicit sort of process yeah. so but if the feminine side of things is unfolding and we're having recognitions of vibrant fullness and sort of flows within the field or you know subtle uh structures and uh, aspects of creative intelligence then we can sort of know that somic somic conversion is taking place there's some degree of soma um that is being uh filtered as you were saying through the body in the the rig veda
1: the the ninth mandala the ninth book um Talks extensively about soma and flows soma through the filter and all this business, and it's actually talking about human physiology. Now there are performances uh, yagyas that are done um, to uh, s- simulate, uh, mm-hmm. simulate and simulate that process, yeah. but that's not the process itself. Yes,
0: um,
1: and there apparently is a, a, a rare plant in Himalaya is called the soma plant, and uh, that may help help trigger it. I don't know. But um, but that's not really what they're mostly what they're talking about. It's actually part of our own physiology, and and it requires a certain amount of healing and and stuff so that the physiology can support it, and it doesn't just burn the soma (laughs) that comes in. Um, But um, but yes, it's it's refinement taking place. Usually, the the people notice uh, the most common direct experience of it is a sweet taste in the Mm mouth after meditating or during meditation or something like that beautiful that's what how people but not everybody notices that either yeah um you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know I'm, I'm not conscious of that entire process but i'm conscious of pieces of it enough that i you know i, can, I get what's going on yeah uh, again it really varies what uh, what's conscious and what's not exactly but, you know i can compare notes with people who have you know experienced other parts of the process and,
0: yeah yeah that's right so sort of Piece, piece things together in that way. Yeah. Um, one thing, another thing that uh, I'll mention just uh, as a possibility uh, and uh, a potentiality in the, in this process of the, um, you know, God consciousness or that, you know, f- flow of um, devotional uh, reverberation within the field uh it can also be a part of the initial shift, meaning that it can start to shine forth pre-shift pre, uh, in identity and then carry through the shift. Um, and then of course it can take place uh, as, the, as the feminine shift, can also take place post-masculine shift is another way, which that would be kind of like filling in the details on the canvas of the screen of, of, of the changeless awareness that has recognized uh, itself. There's also another uh, interesting uh, phenomena that, I've, uh, that I'm have that i starting to witness, and I feel uh, that it will shine forth more as things are continuing to refine in our collective. And it, it has to do with uh, this understanding that uh, is present um, in some of the ancient texts, uh, those that tend towards the devotional side of things called bhavas, bhavas. And um abhava is basically a a certain fine devotional mellow uh, it's a fine devotional flavor a flavor of love mm. and so there's these different flavors of love not not dissimilar to what you were describing in terms of you know god the guru and the uh, appa guru i think is what you said for the upa yeah upa guru okay thank you and um and these are, you know, there's different uh, there's different names for them. Um, Madhuri bhava is uh, uh, one where that flow of love actually is um, relating to divinity as a lover, as a lover. So we hear the term "beloved" used sometimes in 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 this context. And what is uh, interesting, and what I'm seeing, and what I'm sort of bringing forward is a non-dual understanding of this. Oftentimes. It's characterized in, in in more of a dualistic way um, in reference to the sense of the jiva being in love with the divine and there being uh, some relational aspect there. But actually, uh, the possibility and the potentiality is that this can show up uh, in uh, completely unified status as a, as a lelic um, uh, flow uh, of devotional unfoldment or love um, Within the play of 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 the world, and, and also teacher,
1: in the G's. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. My teacher used to speak about it in terms of 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 a, a full unification or uh, retaining uh, small remains of ignorance, so that mm-hmm. there is uh, a separation, so that uh, the 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 flow can the love can flow. Although I don't yeah. see that. Well, it's, it's <laughs> degrees of What the separation we're talking about is, you know
0: it's not yeah it's not separation i think that it's more that there's this um a playful um dynamism that is sort of lively in that direction but there's no since it's still it's still just divinity that is sort of loving itself through through its own flow of intelligence in that way and uh so there's different ways in which this can show up it could be um loving the loving divinity loving itself as a friend um as a lover, as uh, different things. And um, I've tasted uh, several of these myself uh, subjectively. One thing to recognize is that they are they're within the realm of a, a transitory ecstasy. So it's not a matter, it's something that happens typically within the shift, or it can happen prior to a shift. But it's almost like a record um, that only has, has a certain note of music on it that goes around and then it plays, and then it stops, and then it goes around again and plays and stops. So it's it's like a looping of um, a transitory devotional mellow, hmm, which is a spontaneous arising within the flows of conscious awareness, experiencing itself. Hmm. And there's implications, uh, or there's, uh, there's also a whole field of possibility uh, for this post nothingness, which I'll kind of, maybe I'll touch on when we get to the pure divinity, uh, phase. So there's, you know, there's GC, God consciousness in the way that you describe it as it relates to this sort of initial unfoldment, but there's also another possibility that comes a little bit later on. Um,
1: there's two processes that run parallel through, through the, uh, through the, the stages. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and And there can be some huge variation I, I think it's important though to note that it, I mean the stage is called God consciousness, but it's primarily about becoming conscious of the hand of God mm. because for example, we become conscious of the laws of nature and that might be you know through seeing them or 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 just the sense of what's acting through you mm-hmm. um, but um and that, that comes, can come with a sense of that there being, there's a kind of like an intelligence, that it's a divine play, Lila, um, that um, there's a lot, there's a kind of a, a plan, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. unfolding a yeah. uh, number of those elements, but it's usually further along where um, God, uh, there's some form of God or some quality of God becomes uh, part of the picture yeah um, it depends um sometimes it happens right away and sometimes um god itself isn't isn't a part of the process until a little bit further along
0: sure and i think you know the word what, what we understand as being god sort of shifts as well as as things yeah uh, yeah but
1: here we're talking essentially about god in form in form God is part yeah. of the creation uh um, yeah and talking about you know source divinity um mm-hmm. which is much deeper uh
0: much deeper yeah. and that's a that's a uh another just important thing that to touch on while we're here and when we get to that uh to that talk we'll we'll talk more about it but the difference between recognizing the divinity in the self and the self in divinity um mm-hmm. and that is uh that's quite a quite a um, big uh distinction but in reference to the the hand of God, uh, which is such a beautiful way of holding it and and, and is really the way that it shows up uh, for many it it still can be within the realm of of a formless recognition of divinity, but it has to do with the divinity of conscious awareness, the divinity of conscious awareness so as that as the self is recognizing itself and sort of and perhaps co- sort of surrendering into itself and um, loving itself in, in a in a richer way then that the divinity of the of the formlessness uh of conscious awareness is is being revealed. Mm. But it's uh it's not and that can ties into what we were talking about in the different you know Devata values and the different forms and the different uh you know recognizing personified values of different laws of nature and so on and so forth. Mm. But it, for many, I think I've, I've the ones that I've seen, it's it is just kind of like a formless recognition of the divinity of life, the hand, as you were saying, the hand of God, how things are perfectly placed and all fit together in a very, very intricate and um, beautiful way, and yes. and those kinds of things. Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, hmm. I think it's important too to mention here because um, we got the this we've been. You know, I've used the God word. Some, some people actually avoid, they talk about celestial consciousness or, or uh, divine consciousness or something like that to avoid the God word because it has so many connotations for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly had for me as well. Um, but the key to recognize here, we're not talking about belief. This isn't about whether we're, you know, I believed in God or didn't believe in God or, or whatever. Um, that's all in, the, in their field of mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: what we 're talking about here is an unfolding experience, yes so other word we're coming to the divine in a direct way, and like I mentioned earlier, you know after having that little experience with the with the 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 beings, um, I was kind of reticent when higher forms of of basically forms of God started to show up, and uh, i didn't you know I was kind of reticent to, to that because mm-hmm. you know, because of my previous experience and so on like that. Um, so coming to the to the uh, reality of it you know it unfolds in stages we couldn't possibly go straight to divinity we have to kind of because it's so much more refined than, than, than and, and yet it, you know where, where the celestial perception is, is so much more refined than the average person's uh, uh, experience so it's, it's there's a whole process for, for the unfolding of consciousness to itself, and for that refinement to take place to more and more refined levels. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, it depends on where we started as well. Some of us come in with a lot of refined perception already ple- uh, present, and some uh, takes a while to uh, to uh, uh, embody that.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: And another another point that's important: there can we, as we talked about, we certainly. Um, um, you know, as I, we talked about earlier, we can certainly uh, unfold some of this stuff long prior, but it can't until the awakening is present. Um, we can't really fully embody it um, uh, until uh, self-realization, until, until until we've had an awakening, um, yes. true awakening. Yeah. Because you need that stable platform. Because it's such a fine, there's such fine values. If the platform isn't stable, they're just mm-hmm. lost in the in the movement of noise kind of thing. So, it, mm-hmm. it for it to, to really unfold as God consciousness, and not I mean, we can have some values of heart awakening. We can have um, a lot of refined perception, but for the really finer stuff and the heart, the true heart awakening happens mm-hmm. after after self realization. That's yeah. my teacher said you have to know the self before you can know God.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a beautiful point. And I'll just sort of come on the back end of that and say that when I'm, when I'm referring to those, to that, um, that devotional flow showing up pre uh, initial shift, it will always uh, in the way that I'm describing it, it will always be moving in the direction of a shift and be a part of the support of a shift and will characterize the way the shift unfolds, meaning that it'll be a feminine style shift. So, it it it's not that oh there's some flowery things and some nice you know things that are kind of passing by and then but we still feel stuck in separation or whatever no it's that that the the heart is expressing as an opening into a shift in identity and uh and they you know because the our collective was at a certain point i mean even just 30 years ago 20 years ago some Mm -hmm. of this stuff wasn't really relevant uh or wasn't you know wouldn't be something to, to bring up necessarily but now today as we're sitting here speaking we're in a whole different uh ball game as far oh, as yeah styles With, of shifts uh, and, and the way in yeah. which it can unfold
1: and the and the whole business about pure divinity and that kind of stuff it was oh yeah was not yeah. on the table uh back then yes uh and yet now i, I know a bunch of people have had the, uh, those shifts um yeah it's a it's a, a remarkable time yeah. we're in and and it's a tricky thing that that early in that approach, because it's we're, we're moving towards something we've never, you know, it's not in our, our range of experience, for in that for awakening, um, we have no idea where we are, or how we're doing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I get people asking me on a regular basis, like, so where am I? And they send me a yeah. short email and expect me to.
0: I get that one too. Yeah,
1: but that's that's the thing. It, it you, you can't really tell. From I mean, you can have symptoms, but you can have symptoms for decades. Sure. Uh, of course, we're in a time now where where it's not going to take so much time for a lot of people. Um, but but you know, there's going to be more more variations. But um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky period to try and but but it's the mind trying to figure it out. The mind wants to control right. it, and so the yeah. mind wants to know where it is so it can control it. Mm-hmm. But the mind doesn't really actually want you to wake up <laughs> uh, and, and it, because it, it would lose control and that's not what it wants
2: mm-hmm.
1: so there can be this dance in there like I, I remember at a certain point that i realized that the mind was using memories of spiritual experiences to pretend to be you know awake and it was creating these conflicts between experiences of the self and mm. the ego which was basically just ego fighting with itself as a distraction yes and uh and i noticed like sometimes there'd be a falling back and and you know but all of a sudden there would be a really intense itch in my leg Mm. or there would be uh some just random distraction just to bring the attention away from it
0: falling asleep i've seen Uh, that one
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that uh, happens quite a bit at our
1: <laughs> at our retreat sometimes fatigue know. fatigue can be a stress too yeah, right. but but it's but it yeah. was interesting to to see the number of machinations that the ego wanted for going through to try and and keep control and you know i, I basically wondered how in the heck i was ever going to wake up because hmm. of, you know but there was still the idea that i was going to wake up and i was going to do this uh, but again that's the ego Wanting to do and control and you know so it's like this whole. And essentially, what happens has to happen is the self just gets loud enough that it sees yeah. itself, and, mm-hmm. and then it and then it uh, and then it happens. And again, there's a grace element there. I have noticed though one one thing that's quite important. Very few people wake up solo, just mm. out of the blue.
2: Yeah,
1: it certainly it does happen, but. uh, um it's
2: rare
1: yeah. yeah it's much more rare and uh what typically happens is is somebody wakes up with a catalyst
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh so the the most typical catalyst is essentially going on a retreat or or to a satsang or some similar event where you're with the awake yes the awakeness in them can to consider the awakeness and increase the volume of the awakeness in you yes and uh yeah i i go on retreats regularly with a, a fellow who who um, Lauren hoff who has this real skill with uh increasing the intensity Mm -hmm. of the silent presence the the awakeness of consciousness in the room he tries to have uh, a majority of people on retreats uh, awake too Uh, and you know now they're doing them online and it's still quite effective Mm -hmm. and so it, it um so he kind of cranks up the intensity and if people are ready to shift, they shift, and then he, and then he moderates it with flow. Yeah. Or, or if if he's trying to encourage flow, he brings the flow up to a greater and greater intensity for, for later stages, and and then brings in the silence to, to, to stabilize that. And beautiful. it's beautiful to watch. Um, so I, that's one of the reasons I've seen a lot of people shift. Is just yeah,
0: that's, a, that's a very supportive approach. And Lauren and uh, Lucia are the, some of the only ones that I know other Then uh, here we we call it leading, leading style of teaching where there's a direct, the the self is speaking to itself in a certain resonance and um, that just reverberates. And, you know, let's take this talk, for instance, right now, we can just notice the silence that's right here. Seems like David and Andrew have been talking about lots of things. But when there's an allowing the silence to come into the foreground, this immeasurable hush just can reveal itself.
2: Yeah. Yes. And
0: I mean, then of course that's true for the fullness and the liveliness as well.
1: Yeah, because even even though we we're talking about these ideas and concepts and so on and, and ways of framing it, um, there's still a conversation of the self with itself taking place here.
0: Exactly. And,
1: and I've had several, from our previous conversations, I've had several people contact me and talk about the impact it had. Just oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing to do with the concepts.
0: It's, exactly, uh, yeah. It's just a, the powerful presence and uh, uh, that takes place when those that are in in this recognition, come together. Yeah, the self just relating to itself, engaging with itself, speaking to itself about itself. Yeah.
1: Yes, I have a lot less practice at doing it through speaking than, than you do. Mostly, I'm doing it through writing. But That's
0: another beautiful way as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I I've been surprised that some people felt it through just reading my work and the book mm. and so on. Yeah, but there's something. There's also that thing we talked about at the beginning where there is that quality of, of us that actually is already awake.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so it can be stirred by by hearing people who are awake speak. Beautiful. Or reading it or whatever. Yeah, whatever it means. Yeah,
0: yeah that's right. We are the we are knowledge itself and with a capital K and uh, just sort of remembering that which is already innately known on an on a non-conceptual level
1: yes and it's a fascinating process because just in the speaking yeah. in the writing this those qualities come forward so mm. you now the person might not know something that it can still come out in the words and, and you know uh, in whatever way and then there's kind of like a oh i didn't know that that's that's interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah it just flows out because we come when there isn't the person trying to control everything but that makes a difference
0: doesn't it yeah. yeah all right well i feel like we've uh covered quite a bit i'm just checking to see if there's anything it doesn't feel like there's anything that was left unsaid so uh this is going to be this is the first of this series of conversations David and I have had many other or I think four other conversations uh, where we talk about you know a wide variety of of topics Um, but this is the first of a series where we're specifically addressing the different stages of uh, the process of enlightenment uh, what I refer to as contextual modalities and what David refers to as stages of enlightenment and uh together we're just contrasting and uh exploring uh, the, the the two perspectives and what has been seen and, and experientially recognized uh to be a part of this uh grace, graceful process. Yeah. So we just acknowledge that grace and give all glory to pure divinity. I thank you so much for for being here, David. All glory. Thank you.